0: At this time, open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 2. And if you have sermon notes, you want to pull those out. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 10 is where I'm going to start here in a second. Um, Know that as you're turning there, that this is believed to be the first reference to an African location in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2. So, as you know, we are studying this morning a subject matter they have up on the screen, Understanding Africa in the Bible. We're doing a mission emphasis of reaching Africa this month at Christian Fellowship Church. And if you have your sermon notes, I want you to see there is no fill in the blank. It's pretty straightforward. We're just going to talk about how Africa is talked about in the Old Testament, New Testament, and then I believe in end times, pulling Old and New Testament texts together. As we start, here's a little challenge that I got. When we come to this, right from the start, what makes this a real challenge is the word Africa doesn't appear in the Bible. Africa is a continent, and the word for Africa is never used in the Bible. Only locations in Africa are noted. So when you look at the word Africa, do you know it wasn't until the 17th century that that word started to be used? Nobody knows exactly where the word Africa came from. Uh, There is some thought that it had dealt with the um, an ancient language that's long since gone. That you know, as they've done some research and they found some writings and stuff, they see this one word and it might mean Garden of Eden or it might mean Mother of Earth. One website that I looked at had five different theories on where the word Africa came from, but none of them are definitive. I kind of do think that it does tie into the Garden of Eden. We'll see that here in a second when we're in the Genesis chapter 2 passage. But in studying Africa, I'm hoping that this is a blessing to your understanding of God and an encouragement in your own evangelism and also will help you with your own reward as you become, I hope, more effective in praying and supporting and working in Africa itself. As we go through this text, there's not a lot of application Uh, As we go through various texts, we're going to look at different Bible verses. Not a lot, but enough that it's more than normal page turning that we usually do. When we come and we look at this um, study, it's a topical study. Topical studies are hard, i got to tell you. And especially with this subject, it's a very vast subject. So we're only going to scratch the surface for further studies but when i started looking into the idea of africa in the bible and locations and people in africa it was interesting there's not that many when i say not many one website said that there was 21 different references to different people and places in africa and you say well that doesn't sound like much but places like egypt are mentioned over 500 times but a place like ethiopia is only mentioned 14 times in the bible so you got to recognize that that uh, there are places that will get a lot of emphasis and others that won't, and and then collectively not that many. I think it's only like five or six nations or locations that are actually mentioned. But it doesn't mean that Africa doesn't play a significant part in the Bible because you look at the end of the book of uh, Genesis and then you look at the book of Exodus. Where is that entire setting? Where does Joseph spend his time? In Africa. Where is the exodus from? Uh, Africa. It's in Egypt. So Africa will be the basis of a lot of, of backgrounds in the Bible. And as we come through this, I, I, I want you to understand there's something that really hit me again. Why aren't all why aren't more african nations mentioned well the reality of it is is there's not a lot of european nations mentioned there's not a lot of locations in asia mentioned you've got to understand and i think in a study of this of like trying to understand africa in the bible it helps you to understand god's emphasis is israel and god is using israel to reach the world and it's not just like we say, oh, Israel, the Jews are the chosen people. They're chosen to reach the world. God wanted them to reach the world. And so you can't be frustrated and say, well, why isn't Africa mentioned more? Our African nations. It's the same, you know, why isn't Germany? Why isn't America mentioned specifically? I mean, there are places that they think, well, this became the German people or this became the French people or this became, these became the Chinese people. But there's not specific references to Germany or France. Why is that? Well, because God's emphasis is on Israel, reaching the world, so that when we come to Revelation 5, all the tribes and, and, and peoples and nations are met, reached. I'm going to start by giving myself five questions, and I'm going to answer those. So you might want to take your sermon notes, put them on the back I, to help you under, with an understanding here. Um, my first question I would ask myself is then, how do I know all nations are important to God? well it's because Matthew 28:19 to 20 make disciples of all nations the Great Commission and then I come to that revelation passage that we read that it is successful many people come to faith in Jesus Christ and so you know when I start from the right from the beginning I say to myself yeah I, I need to understand all nations all nations are important to God and that God is you, wants us to reach them so it that's whether they're in, they're in Africa or whether they're in the Americas, God wants us to reach them. So second question, why is Africa so important to discuss? Well, it's, to me, the answer is because there's people there, and there's lots of people there, and, and, and there's a lot of needs there. So obviously, I, I think that um, it's important to bring these before you. There's a book out there. I don't know if any of you have ever used this book. It's called Operation World. Has anybody anybody ever gotten this book? Okay, one person, two people. You had it? Okay. Um, Amber and uh, Ethan Verhagen, Amber Mendoza. This is a great book. This is, and it's in its seventh edition. And I used to use this in my prayer time. This is a book that goes through every nation in the world. It's incredibly detailed. It's the most informative book that you can get. And if you get this book... It is available on, on the website. You can just go Operation World. I think it's like $25. And it goes through where every nation is in the world in maps, geographic information, the different people groups, the economic, the political, the religious makeup, and provides a daily prayer calendar. And you can start to pray very effectively if you incorporated that into your prayer life. And I, I would think if you got something like this, You can go through all the different African nations, and it would make you very effective in your prayer life. Obviously, you can expand that. Now You can say, well, I don't want to spend $25 for Operation World. Google nations in Africa. It could print out a list of all the different nations, and even though you may not have all the information, you could start praying, God, I pray that people go there. I pray to hear reports. So I just want you to understand is when I'm saying to myself why is Africa important to discuss, because there's a lot of people there, and there's a lot of things that are going on in Africa. And this is just one tool to get you to understand it. Um, I wish I really wouldn't have shown you this picture yet. (laughs) Let me ask you my third question. What do you think of when you think of Africa? Do you think of lions, giraffes, safaris? Absolutely. And you think of tribal people. But then here's this picture. This is Africa. These are four of the most major cities in Africa. Africa is filled with multiple cities that are just booming and modern. And, and, and this next city, Johannesburg, is one of the leading economic centers in the entire world. And I had all these statistics. There's 4.4 million people there. And it is phenomenal how advanced these cities are. Yes, if you go to Africa, you can go on a safari. You can see a lot of tribes. But you've got to understand, it would be very short-sighted if you just think of Africa as being the outback, all right? And so one commentator said this, if you happen to be making a plan, uh, planning a trip to Africa, you better check out the map because some people will say, well, I'm going to go to Egypt, and I'm going to see the pyramids, and then over the weekend, I'm going to go down to Kenya, and I'm going to do a little safari. Well, that means you're covering more than, get this, 2,000 miles. Nobody would ever say, well, I'm going to go to San Francisco Monday through Friday, but on the weekend, I'm just going to go do a little trip in New Orleans. You know, you just don't do that. You wouldn't go and say, I'm taking a trip to Paris, and then on the weekend, I'm going to spend the time in Tel Aviv and then come back to Paris on Monday. You just don't do that. That is how vast Africa is. So I want us to keep that before us. It is incredibly large as a continent. Now, do I show this? Because here is a picture of, this is a picture of all the different continents that you could put, uh, all the different nations that you could put in Africa. There's the United States. There's China. And, and I know you can't see it that well, but it's just a massive, massive, massive um, geographical area. Third, when you think of Africa, what race do you th- typically think of? Many people think of black people, but the reality of it is, is that is also short-sighted. In the north, it's filled with Arab people, okay? And then, obviously, in the center, there are a lot of blacks where you have the Sudan, you have Kenya, but down in the, the southern part, you have more whites. Um, there's 1.4 billion people in Africa. There's a great cross-section of all the races now, when we do come into the, we do come into uh, the Bible, we're going to see the name Cush, that is, uh, sounds exactly like the Hebrew letters Cush. It will often be translated for um, Ethiopia, and over time, initially that Hebrew word did not mean uh, black, but it has become associated with the Hebrew word for black because our black people, because the people from Cush, the people from Ethiopia, were considered black people. Now, what I want to point this out is because God does recognize race, even though we do come all from one race, the human race. We recognize that in classification in the world, we talk about Caucasians, we talk about Hispanics, we talk about blacks. And yet, I want us to point out God doesn't shy away from that. Perhaps one of the greatest verses in the Bible is this. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. That's Jeremiah 13, 23. And God is using the fact that the Ethiopian, who would have been recognized as a black person, couldn't change his skin. Now, he could have used the Caucasian. He could have used a different skin color. But God doesn't shy away from that. God uses that to bring about this great message of salvation. This is a great verse that you should all, all have down sometimes if you're witnessing. Because you can come to somebody, whether they're Caucasian or they're, they're brown skin, black skin, whatever, you know, yellow skin, and you can say, you can't change your skin color, nor can you change your heart, because only God can through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think this is a great verse for us to always remember. So we remember that there's all kind of races in Africa. And then fifth, I want to say, um, what are some key facts that we need to recognize geographically and population-wise when we talk about Africa? Well, I've already alluded to the fact there's close to 1.4 billion people in Africa. Nigeria and Ethiopia are the largest countries. Kenya's the third Nigeria has 183 million people. They expect Africa to continue to grow exponentially more than any other continent. They expect it to be almost 2.5 billion, if I've got the right number, let me see, um, 2.4 billion by 2050, and maybe even begin to start doubling. And so very important that we understand with that type of population growth how important it is that Africa is reached with the gospel. So with that understanding, let's go... And start to look at Africa in the Bible. First of all, we're just gonna do Genesis, Uh, we're gonna look at it in the Old Testament. So, Genesis chapter 2 is where we're gonna start. And as we go through this, what I'm trying to do is just try to give you an overview of how important Africa played in the Bible, starting first with the Old Testament. And here in Genesis chapter 2, we get this reference of this description of how the Garden of Eden looked. As, you know, Genesis chapter 1 gives you the big picture of the six days of creation, so literal six days of creation, and as you roll into chapter 2, I believe this is like a narrow view, and God is just giving us some information, and we see this. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. And so you go through those four rivers, and you come down to verse 13, and it says the name of the second river is Gion. It flows around the whole land of Cush. Now, I didn't put a, a picture of it, but that, I believe, is the land that is referenced in the Bible is called Ethiopia. But you say Garden of Eden, how is that it's closely associated? I believe that Africa was part of the supercontinent uh, super called Pangea. And, and when we have the flood, that all breaks up. And what Moses is doing, and he's writing years later, I, I, I believe he's telling us that this river was when Pangea was all together, was, was able to go from the Garden of Eden to the location of, of where Cush was. And so to me, it just tells me that they, they were closely associated when all the continents were together. And so I just think how fascinating that Cush, Africa, was close, so close to the Garden of Eden when it was originally located. Now, as we move through, as we move through the Bible, go over to Genesis chapter 10. And here is where it's important for us to all remember how we're all one race, and all of us came from Adam and then through the descendant Noah and his three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So in Genesis chapter 10, there's this description of where the descendants of Noah went. And you pick up in Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now these are the records of the generation of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and the sons were born to them after the flood. So all of us are related. Nobody, you know, we're always sometimes under the pressure to, you know, different races in the world. But we all came from this family. And it's important for us to acknowledge that what people are doing today, a lot of people are doing DNA testing. And it, I don't know if anyone's done a DNA test where they actually have taken it back to this part, uh, this far. But I can tell you that... Studies have been done on where the people went in um, the world out of these three sons. And the people from Shem, remember the word Shem is the Hebrew word for name, were, the, were primarily the Jewish people that ended up being the, 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 the Arabs. And so when you think of like Central Asia, a lot of the people from, are, are from the family of Shem. Japheth people are people who, a lot of them went into Europe. Most of us who are Caucasian are from the descendants of Japheth. Ham will be the Canaanites, but will be the majority of the people who move into Africa. Jump down to verse 6, and it says, The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. Over Cush, you could say Ethiopia. Mizram is the son which becomes Egypt, put is is Libya, and these are the those are the three main nations are going to be mentioned. And obviously the Canaanite, the Canaanites, all right. After the world tries to build the Tower of Babel, God dis- disperses everyone. You turn to Genesis chapter twelve, and God is going to take one man to reach the world. It's important that we understand why Israel is picked. It's because God wanted to take one man and show that he could have a he could have the power to take one man to make a nation and to reach the world for his glory to bring his salvation versus what the world was trying to do with bringing everyone together to have their religion which was anti-god. But it's fascinating right from the start when Abraham, Abram who becomes Abraham, begins his journey in life and his ministry and developing the family is that you jump down to Genesis chapter 12 and it says that there was this famine. At verse 10, it says there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. And from this point on, Egypt in essence, Africa plays a significant role, especially in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to have you turn to a lot of pages. I just want you to listen to this now. Listen to these facts that I have about Africa in the Old Testament. Number one, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Joseph will spend a good portion of their lives in Africa, Egypt. Second, Egypt, it's important for you all to know, becomes the world power. When we are studying the book of Revelation and we get to Revelation 17, it talks about the seven kingdoms, seven worlds. The very first world power, the very first world power was Egypt, was an African nation. And and it is not necessarily sometimes, it is not a poor continent. Sometimes we think about it being um, just filled with tribal people, not very advanced and I don't know why there are still those tribes. It's, one, it's an interesting case study. But the reality of it is, is the church had a major role in Africa at the start. But let me just talk about the fact that it was a world power. And I've been in those pyramids. Those are incredibly the, the advanced technology. So Africa was uh, a place of a super world power. When we come to um, the life of Moses... How many of you ever think about the fact that Moses married a Cushite woman? You can just jot this down, Numbers chapter 12. Now, whether it's his wife Zipporah, there's a little bit debate, or it's another woman, it's believed that he married a black woman. And so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Um, When David writes the 68th Psalm, he, he... a thousand years after Moses is talking about how Egypt and Ethiopia will worship the Lord, and this will be for all eternity. So that'll play a key role um, in us understanding end times. In the book of Esther, the Persian Empire goes from, from goes all the way from its location. Uh, gosh, I can't remember where it starts, but it, it, it's, it's noted as ending in Ethiopia. And the fact that it, once again, Ethiopia was part of the world power of of that day. And as you're going to move through the Old Testament, whether it's Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, Zechariah, all will talk about the role of Africa in eternity. I just found that fantastic. And we'll get there when we talk about end times and we talk about um, Africa in end times. One commentator also pointed out when you speak about the queen of Sheba who plays a key role with Solomon is that it's believed that she was from Africa. And to me, the bottom line is when I want to look at the role of Africa in the Old Testament, I want to understand it's significant. I didn't want to bog you down, taking you through a whole bunch of different passages so you got confused, but I want you just to recognize Africa played a major role in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, It takes a kind of interesting dynamic. If you'll turn to the gospel of Mark, turn to the gospel of Mark, you get a lot more individual stories when you come to the New Testament. And I, and... So Mark chapter 15, what I'm going to do is just take you through some key individuals in the New Testament, and I want to point out that they were Africans. And, And here in Mark chapter 15, we're dealing with the crucifixion of Jesus. And... In verse 21, it says, they, I believe that's the Romans, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander Rufus, to bear his cross. It's believed this man goes on to become a believer. Now, Cyrene, where is that? Well, that is modern-day Libya. And think about this reality. How many of us would have loved to have been that person? I mean... We think it's absolutely horrific that Jesus has to die on the cross. We all get that. But we love Jesus for what he's done for us. We love the fact that he went and he died to pay the penalty. And if we were standing on that road, maybe our eyes would have been filled with tears. We couldn't believe that this was going on. But who gets picked? An African gets picked. A person from Africa gets picked. He's the one that gets to put um, the cross on his shoulders and carry it. And, And... obviously then becomes a key player in the early church. So Simon of Cyrene carries the cross of Jesus. We're not going to turn there, but I want you to just note that when the day of Pentecost comes, in the nations that are listed of people who are believers or people who are going to be proselytes, many of them are from African nations. What I want you to do, turn over is to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is perhaps one of the most... Um, key evangelistic stories in the New Testament. And it's when Philip reaches an Ethiopian eunuch. Well, where's Ethiopia? Again, it's in Africa. And so Acts chapter 8, and you have this story about how um, Philip speaks, gets spoken to by an angel. Pick up in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza that is a desert road, and he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of, of all her treasure and had come down to Jerusalem to worship. And the idea is, is, this man is reading the book of Isaiah. Where does he get the book of Isaiah? Well, it's believed, again, because of the incredible Old Testament emphasis that that was there in Egypt. He's got it. He's reading this. And the, the eunuch... We begin in verse 34, says, answered Philip and said, tell, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from, began, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And after this man becomes a believer, gets baptized, Philip disappears. Great story. I'm going to come back to this. I want you to remember this, this story, because have you ever thought about what in the world was the Ethiopian doing? He's there to worship, but I, I, there is speculation, and I'll come back to that. I want you to remember this, okay? So think about that. Then ju- for now, just go over to Acts chapter 13 when we're starting the first missionary journey. So right from the start, you've got a key African playing a role in uh, one of the most important evangelistic stories that is used in the Old Testament because that passage is used for many people learning how to share the gospel, that passage out of Isaiah. When we have the first missionary journey about to start, and the Apostle Paul is getting ready to go, we come to Acts chapter 13, and it says, now there were at Antioch in the church that were there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Nigerian, in essence, Nigerian, and Lucius of Cyrene, all right, which we said was part, I believe it's part of Libya. And, and Manon who had been brought up, with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And, you know, you could easily read through that passage, but did you catch that there were two Africans? They were two African leaders. That you have Simeon, who uh, you, who, was called, um, who was called Niger, but could have just been called the black man, all right? Because Niger is a more stronger reference to one who is black. And then, obviously, Lucius of Cyrene, which is of northern Africa as well. So, right from the start, you think, Africa, Africans played a major role in the establishment of the new church, especially with the first evangelistic trip, and that, the, and, and that these guys were key spiritual leaders. Number five, I want you to turn over to Acts 18. And this is one that was just a good reminder for me, um, because... Many of you are familiar with Apollos from the book of Acts. He is a man that is mighty in speech. He's considered a great um, evangelist in the New Testament. And we pick up in verse 24. They're on the third missionary journey. And it says in verse 24, now a, a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. It's going to go on through the story of how he needs to to get the complete picture of Christ, and then when he gets it, he becomes a very strong evangelist. But did you catch it? Did you see that he's an Alexandrian by birth? He's Egyptian. He—he's This is a man from Africa. This is another African who plays a key role in the New Testament. So those are... Those are five key references to individual well, references with, with five or more key individuals because the one had two, two Africans. I'm not even going to take you to the fact that Jesus will spend his youth in Africa. Remember Matthew chapter 2, Herod wants to kill him. God, in a dream, sends a message to his father, get out of here, go spend, go, go spend time in Africa. For those of you who are in Sunday school, I was at one of the locations in Africa that they believe Jesus spent time there, grew up in Africa. And there's a a marker there, and there's a belief that they know where some of the locations were in Egypt that his family spent. It's amazing how key a role Africa has played in the life of the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament. And so, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and following. You have the story and the great fulfillment of Hosea 11.1, which we'll study someday here, is out of Africa, or out of Egypt, I called my son, is the Hosea 11.1 that gets cited in Matthew chapter 2 as Jesus as being fulfilling that. But let me just talk about some other people that I'm not going to be able to tie in specific Bible verses, But I think you might find this interesting. I'm just going to give you a couple key New Testament people. Number one, the Apostle Paul. The question is, is the Apostle Paul, did he ever go into Africa? And the answer is no. But it's believed that he took a passage that we're going to read later from the book of Isaiah and used that to reach the world, the nations that are are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 66, And in Isaiah 66, there is a reference to some African nations. And you say, well, then why didn't Paul go there? I want you to note that when the Apostle Paul visits the island of Crete, I read a theological paper two weeks ago, and their belief is that the island of Crete, which I did research on, google today has a lot of people from africa there and it's believed that one of the reasons paul diverted his missionary trips to go to crete was because he could evangelize the people on crete knowing that they would end up going back to their home in africa all right i don't know i can't remember if there was record of that but that is the closest that the apostle paul we know touched people from africa second though here is something that i think you should find absolutely interesting there are ref, there is knowledge that the author Matthew, who is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew chapter ten, who becomes one of the twelve disciples, when he is an apostle and he is being sent out as the apostles are scattering all over the world. Where did he go? Matthew went to Africa. He was a missionary in Ethiopia, and. I pulled out my Fox Book of Martyrs, which is considered the most uh, official document of church history regarding about where people have died and how they died, and it's believed that Matthew spent his time in Ethiopia, and he was martyred there in 60 A.D. by being beheaded. All right? I think that's pretty impressive, you know, that Africa played such a prominent role. Where did God send of his key missionaries? one of the authors of the New Testament. But you would think that would be enough. But the second author of the New Testament, Mark, also went to Africa. And for those of you who are in the Sunday school class, I was at a church that they believe Mark founded in Cairo. He won't spend the majority of his time in Cairo. He'll go up to Alexandria. And so Mark, who we know got the majority of his information from his, the majority of his information from Peter will be killed in out the city of Alexandria, which is northern Egypt, in 64 AD. And the way they killed him, tried to shut him up, was horrendous. Um, the streets were cobbled stone. They took him. They dragged him through the streets, banging his head against the stones. He doesn't die. They put him back in prison, and they take him out the next day, and they do it again. So Mark was faithful, and he could have recanted but he didn't and so two new testament writers matthew and mark will spend their missionary time in africa and then eventually die there that's it for the new testament other than the fact that we also see in the book of revelation as i recited that all nations will be there what i'd like you to do is turn to the book of daniel and I, i hope that in end times as you like Hopefully, like to study it like I do. This will always stick out. When you come to Daniel chapter 11, Daniel 11, as I've said, is perhaps one of the most interesting chapters in all the Bible. This is my push for the men's study on Tuesday night. We're going to get there eventually. It has over 220 prophecies that are in the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel, and many of them have already been fulfilled. But some regarding the Antichrist, and he's not referred to the Antichrist. He's an evil king in this chapter. He is referenced in, in his activities in the end part of Daniel chapter 11. And I want to pick up in verse um, 42 uh, or 41. It says, he, and I believe it's, this is the Antichrist, he will enter the beautiful land and many countries will, will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand Edom, Moab, and the foremost, the sons of Ammon. This is the area of Jordan. And remember, we believe many of the Jews are hiding there, Petra. But then it says, verse 42 then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. So the Antichrist is going to go in, and he's going to take over Egypt as he goes to take over the world. And verse 43 then says, but he will gain control of the hidden treasures of gold and silver and of the other precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Now my thought is is that when I look at that expression, are they following because they're they're following at his heels because they've been captured, or are they helping him? And I'm, I kind of lean to the sense that they, these key African nations are going to help the Antichrist at the end times. It seems like Egypt is against him though, which would fit because. Egypt is going to, I believe, play, um, be used by God to to be one of the nations that glorifies God. All right, and so and so recognize that. So, the Antichrist will play a key role in Africa in the end times. In the millennium, the thousand year reign. Turn to Isaiah chapter eighteen. I, here's something that I, I, I um. I always find fascinating. And when you come to the middle of the book of Isaiah, well, not the middle, but by chapters um, 15, 16, God starts bringing judgment upon nations in the world. And these are, again, not like America or China. These are all nations that have had some contact with Israel. And Ethiopia, Cush, is one of them. And when you come to the 18th chapter, God has given this prophecy that I think has a near and far fulfillment, near that in the days of Isaiah, Ethiopia got theirs, and then they're going to get it in the millennium again. So you pick up, and it says in chapter 18, verse 1, Alas, O land of wearing wing- wings, which um, lies beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends env- envoys by the sea in even in papyrus vessels on the surface of the waters, go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth. Remember Jimmy was talking about how he had hair, and many of the black people don't have as much hair, tall and smooth. And so this is a prophecy that I believe, I'm not going to study all of it, that goes into how God is going to judge Ethiopia for their sins. What I find fascinating is when you come to verses 6 and 7, after the, 6 is going to talk about the judgment, and then 7 is going to talk about how eventually they're going to repent, and and God is going to grant grace to them, which is interesting, because, you know, remember, we saw in Daniel that they're going to help, perhaps help the the Antichrist, so pick up in verse 6, and it says, they will be left together for mountain birds of prey, and for the beasts of the earth, and the birds of prey will spend the summer feeding on them, so they're really going to be judged for what they do, And, and, and then it says, all the beasts of the earth will spend harvest time on them, but I believe there's going to be a great repentance of the people of Ethiopia because verse 7, you have to follow, is there's a great transition. And it says, but at that time, at that time, a gift of homage will be brought to the Lord of hosts. And it says, from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared far and wide because Ethiopia was a power at this time, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, even Mount Zion. I believe... This gift is really significant. What that is, my speculation is, is is that I wonder, is it the Ark of the Covenant? Now, Jason Snyder, many years ago, gave me a book that talked about the fact that the Ark of the Covenant is believed to be in a church in Ethiopia, which I think is fascinating, and I went on a site, uh, and they're, they're still thinking that they are, that they still have it, there's a church. No, no person outside of Ethiopia is allowed to go in it. And the claim by the Ethiopians is that the Ark of the Covenant is in that city. Um, could the Ethiopian eunuch have heard that the Messiah was there and that now it was time to bring up or find out, hey, is the Messiah here? Should we get the gift ready? That's one of the reasons I think it's kind of interesting that in Acts chapter 8 you have this Ethiopian eunuch. At best, it may not have been, it may not be the Ark of the Covenant, but the Ethiopian eunuch at least could have been there to check out, is the Messiah in place, and is it time for us to bring this gift, whatever that is. So I wonder, in end times, when we're there, for those of us who are going to be there, have placed our faith in Christ and are born again, we're going to find out exactly what that gift is. I think that is a gift that's going to be given to Jesus at the start of the millennium. So let me just take you to one last passage in Isaiah. This is the passage I alluded to that many believe that Paul based, his, Paul based his missionary activities off of. As you come to Isaiah chapter 66, remember God is talking about the new heavens and the earth in chapter 65 and 66. And as, as God is wrapping up this message, and he begins in verse 18 and 19, and he says, Um, For I know their works and their their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. So he's been talking about humanity. He's been talking about where life is going. And he says, I know their works and their thoughts. But the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory. And I believe this is like when the millennium kicks in and we're going to go into eternity. And he says, I will set a sign among them. And they will send survivors from them to the nations. Tarshish put Lud, Meshach, Rush, Tubal, and Ivan to the distant coastlands that have never heard my fame nor seen my glory. It's believed that the apostle Paul read that and said, wait, there's coastlands, there's people that have never heard. And many of these places that you can tie in Paul's activity, except for the nation of Put, which is Libya, where, like I said, he probably went to the island of Crete. I think it's fascinating that when God does give a few lists of names that we have an African nation there. So with that understood, that, that's just all I can have, give you for Africa in end times. Now, like I said, this is a very vast subject. It's a, it is not a simple one. It is, a, it is simplistic of us to think of Africa in a simple way. It is filled more, with more than just tribal people, more than just with, with um, elephants and giraffes and tigers and, and, and lions and stuff like that. It's an incredibly rich history that the people of Africa have, as noted in the Bible as well as in secular sources. One author said this. He did a sermon. um, His name is Dwight McKissick. He did a paper on the wonder of Israel and her relation to Africa. And I want you to listen to this quote. He said, God strategically placed Africa next door to the nation that he chose as the headquarters of his kingdom on earth in order to bring him worship and an offering. And Zephaniah 3.10 talks about how the Ethiopians are going to also bring an offering. And my point is, is in this quote, I think it's fascinating the close proximity that Africa has to Israel and how God has allowed it to have the privilege of having this great access. Think about it. Two New Testament authors went into Africa for their missionary work. So yeah, is Africa important to God? Absolutely. And sometimes we think of it as a poor continent. There are places that are poor, but there are others that are thriving. Like I said, Johannesburg is one of the greatest economic cities in the world today. What can you do with this? What am I trying to get you to understand? Don't make simplistic classifications of these countries. Let me just give you five action steps. Once again, you can flip your sermon notes. I'll do these quickly. Number one, I think you should regularly pray for the countries of Africa, whether it's through the Operation World, printing out a list. As I think you should pray for all countries in the world. I think it would behoove you to use your prayer time effectively and start incorporating evangelism into your prayer time. So get that Operation World. Go to the websites, list out countries, and use it to, to incorporate how you can more effectively pray. Three, I think it's important to support our missions. I think you need to recognize our mission fund is being used to reach Africa, and that when you support here or you support individuals, it does make a difference. Third, get involved in our missions activity as well. Join our missions committee. You know, my friend Mark Flaggy, who is going to speak tonight at Portage, he and his wife... At one point, when they were at Blackhawk Ministries in Fort Wayne, Indiana, even though it's a large church with a large missions committee, they were the only ones that were regularly writing the missionaries. And my point for you is that one person could say, give me a list of a couple missionaries. I'll email them. I'll find out what their needs are. Or I'll send out care packages. And it was, it was incredible, the ministry that Mark and Jeannie had. And so, men and women here, this is my challenge to you. You know, you could say, "Well, I'm never going to be a a missionary," but man, you can make a world of a difference. Because I talked about the fact that in Sunday school, the sacrifices that many of these missionaries go through is very, very hard. And and so, I'm trying to get you to have as much reward in heaven as possible. You can get involved. And so get involved with our missions committee. You don't have to join the missions committee. We'd like you to, but you can find out how you could be reaching missionaries. Number four, consider going one day, um, whether it's a short-term trip or, or, or a long-term trip, that maybe God is calling you to a, a place in Africa or anywhere around the world. And, uh, and, and just put that before the Lord. God, what do you want me to do? And then number five, I want you to witness here. Because I think that if anybody wants to go on a missions trip, they should be an evangelistic here. Evangelistic here. And I think that it's important that you understand that, when, that that as you're praying for missions, I'm hoping that it's going to impact the fact that you're going to talk to people in this community. And then one of the things you could say is, Lord, I'd like to reach Africa, but I'm never going to go. Could you send some Africans here? I mean, it's no different than we had a Chinese young man in our home, and our goal was to witness to him so he would go back to China. we we'll pray that God would send you to um, maybe a college setting or another setting, maybe a, a worker that comes in, at your place of employment, and he or she is from Africa, and you give them the gospel, and then they start reaching people back in Africa, wherever they are. Um, Africa, I think Jimmy mentioned, it, has like 54 different nations in it at least 54. It's a vast, it's, it's in a vast amount of area. And the number of people that are coming there from Africa into America is, 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 is really high. I think there's places in Minnesota that are being overrun by Somalia refugees. And so I would just encourage you, if you are interested in reaching Africa and you think you'll never go, pray that God sent an African to you. So who knows how God will use you But my hope is is that in heaven, you will meet people that got saved because of your work and our work as a church that God used to reach people in Africa as well as around the world. And so today, my hope is that you're all there because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you know that you're born again. The only way to be in heaven is through that. And that's the message Africa needs to hear, and that's the message we all need to hear as well. Let's pray. Father... I pray that today's message of understanding Africa has been a blessing, that it's helped make people understand not only Africa's role, but Israel's role. What a great fallout of a study that once again glorifies the nation that you glorify, the nation of Israel, and how it's there as a prominent place to reach the world. But I'm hoping, God, that today has really challenged people, given them a better understanding of how you use this continent And that it is a place that has played a significant role. And I ask God that through this, these five action steps will be taken by the men and women here. And produce much fruit in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.